Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, and I am your host and the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. So this is episode 132, and I am recording it on Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. Now, that uh, date and day is notable to me because for many, many months, I have been recording new episodes on Mondays. And it's been really important to me to keep up a schedule, to be consistent in the um, recording of my podcast episodes, because I want you, the listener, to have an expectation around when a new episode will drop. And for me, as a creator, as a teacher, as um, a coach, it's important that I show up consistently in ways that I feel are helpful to others. And, you know, this is part of this kind of unspoken contract that I have with you, the listener, that if you're listening to this podcast even once, I want you to have a particular kind of experience. And if you enjoy listening, I want you to be able to depend on me, not in a dependency sort of way, but more in an expectation sort of way that you can expect consistency from me in terms of when the next episode will air. Now, having said all that, (laughs) yesterday was a holiday. It was Memorial Day. And while over the many, many years that I've been a yoga teacher, I have worked on many holidays, I decided to take yesterday off. And I also um, didn't want my podcast producer, Jackson, shout out to Jackson, to have to work on a holiday. So I made the executive decision as a solo entrepreneur uh, to not record yesterday. But here I am on Tuesday, bright and early, And I promise you, this will probably be um, the last Tuesday that I record on for a very long time. All the other Monday holidays are not um, uh, big ones like Memorial Day, or at least not from the perspective of, you know, kind of things to do. So, uh, So anyway, that's my little intro on that. Now, as always, I do have notes here, and I will be referring to them to just keep me on track. I certainly don't want you to be listening to a podcast that's just me rambling on. 
So that's the reason for the notes. And the second thing is, if this is your first time watching the podcast on YouTube, I want to thank you so much for getting on my YouTube channel and watching it. And if you're listening, you know, I've been recording podcast episodes in an audio only format for a couple of years now. As you can see, we're on episode 132. So it's been about two and a half, almost three years now. And audio only is still great. If, however, you want to watch the podcast, watch the audio, um, you know, there might be some advantages to doing that. Um, I have a skeleton here. So sometimes when I teach anatomy related content, I can refer to the skeleton. And so sometimes the visual will help. However, I want to reinforce that there is absolutely no need for you to watch the podcast. You can continue to consume the information in audio-only format and not feel like you're missing out on anything. I simply wanted to provide another way to give to give important content, to give helpful content to my existing YouTube channel, and also just give you an alternate way to consume this information. So that's the intro. So the next thing I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about June 1st and this idea of June 1st being indicative of lots of new possibilities. And, you know, maybe for you, maybe you're in a space right now, you know, here I am recording this on June 1st. Um, and maybe you're in a space right now where, you know, things kind of feel the same to you and that's okay. Um, maybe this conversation will give you an opportunity to reframe today. And if you're listening to this, uh, you're probably not listening on June 1st, maybe on the second or third or sometime thereafter. There's always the possibility to reframe any particular day into an opportunity to begin again. And that is, you know, a concept rooted in um, Buddhism, uh, this idea of beginning again. And that's one of the amazing things uh, that we always have available to us as human beings that we always can begin again. Um, however, I always feel an extra surge of inspiration to begin again uh, at certain times throughout the year. And June 1st, and this particular June 1st to me feels really pivotal for a number of reasons. I think number one, the obvious thing is the pandemic is um, maybe winding down isn't maybe the best term from a science perspective, although I do think when you look at the data, certainly here in Massachusetts where I live, the data does support uh, the concept of COVID winding down in our state because the incidence rate is low. And when you look at the, the actual numbers of cases every day, uh, they are quite low. I can remember we were in the over 2,000 a day and now we're about 100 a day. Additionally, here in Massachusetts, and maybe for you where you live in the United States or anywhere in the world, maybe some of the restrictions that you have been complying with for over a year have been lifted. <clears throat> here where I live, we now have less restrictions on things like wearing masks and gatherings and things like that. So all of that definitely makes this June 1st feel very different. Um, I don't know for you, of course, how this past year and three months or so has felt. I do know from just kind of being aware of, of topics of conversation out there that it has been obviously a very difficult time for everybody, but certainly for more, uh, more difficult for some people than others. 
And so this June 1st is, again, an opportunity for us to somewhat start fresh from the perspective of um, moving past the um, situation we were all living under and looking to new opportunities. And for us as yoga teachers, there is certainly a lot that is relevant there when we think about new opportunities, because we are, as yoga teachers, in the business of connecting with people IRL in real life. And so the pandemic has had an extraordinary effect on all of us as yoga teachers, on people who like to take yoga classes. They have had to, on a dime, change their practice methodology from IRL to online. And shout out to everyone who has been practicing for a year online and just kind of going with it. And shout out to all of you teachers out there who have made that shift, even though it might feel uncomfortable, even though it might feel a little weird, even though you feel disjointed in your teaching in, in a lot of cases, you know, shout out to you for rolling with the changes in an effort to continue to bring people this really helpful tool for their overall well-being and especially in this time a tool that has documented evidentiary um, impact on mental health on physiological responses to stress so you know this is not just a nice to have this is really yoga is really a tool that is really important as part of a wellness strategy for anyone, regardless of age. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but again, just to give you, I hate to say it, but just to give you talking points, you know, when you meet people and they say, oh, I'm not flexible enough, or, oh, I don't have time for yoga. I don't want you to go out and try to convince people. However, I think it is really important as yoga teachers that we can clearly articulate what's the point of doing this. And, and for those out there who think, Yoga is for moms that want to relax on a Sunday night and do some easy stretches. <clears throat> you know, I'm not saying we want to present it like it's, you know, gymnastics. However, there are a lot of benefits that distinguish it from, you know, kind of this maybe old fashioned notion of yoga being just easy stretching. So again, you know, June 1st, also the beginning of essentially the summer. And so I really want to offer you an opportunity right now, regardless of the literal day that you're listening to this episode on, but certainly if you're listening to it within the first week or so of June, I want to offer you an opportunity to think of June, July, and August as 90 days of positive change for you. And when I say positive change, you may be sitting there thinking, why does she want to change me? I don't have anything I want to change. That's okay. It's not about that. It's about leveraging what's ahead of us as a path. And, you know, because this podcast is called Conversations for Yoga Teachers, thinking about as a teacher, what is possible for you if you give yourself a distinct time frame within which to work. Because let's face it, even the most planful person, type A person, um, lets things go by the wayside. For those of you out there that are, you know, kind of 
committed procrastinators, you can probably relate to this even more. This idea that without a deadline, nothing gets done. Without a deadline, I don't get you know, anything done. You know, what I'm offering you here is an opportunity to look at June, July, and August as a 90-day time frame within which to get things done. And things that are important to you, and this is a kind of set a perimeter around this, as a yoga teacher. I mean, there's certainly a lot of things we can talk about on this podcast around overall health and wellness and, and just different strategies for wellness and personal growth as a person. However, the focus here, I, I always like to bring it back to conversations for yoga teachers as if we were sitting here over a cup of tea, having this conversation as it relates to your teaching and my teaching. So let's kind of just kind of set the perimeter there. So again, the, the question here that's out there and, and which will be part of the fodder for today's conversation is, what is possible for you as a yoga teacher? And what this really leads me to is today's topic. And that is, what are some introspective or inquiry questions that you can ask yourself as a way to uncover your true genius as a yoga teacher? So I'm going to say that again. What are some introspective or inquiry questions that you can ask yourself as a way to uncover your true genius as a yoga teacher. Now you may listen to that and you may think of this idea of true genius from the perspective of science or math or you know things that are data driven and you know certainly when we think about geniuses in the world <clears throat> maybe we don't think about yoga teachers as falling in that category i would beg to differ there but that's a different conversation i want you to think about for this conversation the idea of genius as being equivalent to the concept of being authentic because really when i think about a yoga teacher um, teaching in a way that is exemplifying their true genius. I think of someone who is truly in their body, authentically sharing without a care of how anybody else thinks, anybody's perceptions of them. They are purely there for the benefit of others in a non-self-serving way in a way that is completely outward, however driven by inward, <clears throat> meaning they're not doing anything to try to generate a particular reaction from people. They're not looking for adulation. They're not looking for validation. They are completely driven by their own authentic desire to be of help, to be of service in the specific way that we are when we are teaching yoga. And so, one word to encapsulate all of that, in my mind, is authentic, right? And, and again, this is also grounded in Buddhism, this authentic nature, true nature, right? So this is really what I mean when I say, um, what is what are some questions you can ask yourself as a way to uncover your true genius as a yoga teacher? What I mean by that is a way to uncover your authentic nature. Now, authentic nature brings us to this idea 
of being unfettered by outside influence, right? Which is kind of a hilarious concept right now when you think about it, because we actually have a title for people that is influencers, right? People in social media that are presumably influencing how other people feel and think simply by some prescribed value or knowledge that people are attaching to that person, whether it's about makeup or health or authenticity or how to be um, successful or business, whatever it is, this idea of an influencer comes with it, this concept that someone can influence somebody else. Now, that may be true, and certainly a great example of that is our parents, right? Our parents influence us. However, what's driving them is our true love for us. And that is a very different scenario than what the motivation is of an influencer. I don't think I need to tell you the motivation of an influencer is completely outward driven. They want your validation. Oftentimes they're motivated by money, right? So obviously that's a different conversation. But the point I'm trying to make here is that as a yoga teacher to uncover your true genius, it needs to be done in a way that is as much as possible, as much as we can pull back from outside influence. Because to get to our authentic nature, where do we need to look? We need to look to ourselves. You can't ask somebody else, what do you think my authentic nature is as a yoga teacher? How do you think I should show up? What, you know, that's turning the lens outward. What today's episode is about is turning the lens inward. Okay. So I'm inspired to share this particular theme because today, June 1st, is going to be the first live yoga class I am teaching since COVID shut down both studios I taught at for over 10 years. And the last time I taught live people was March 15th, 2020. March 15th, 2020. So that's a year, March, April, May, and two months. And so as I stand here recording this for you in my yoga studio, in my house, I am surrounded by the yoga mats, four yoga mats is the most I can fit in this studio. All the props, um, I've placed uh, a tea bag on everyone's mat as a gift that they can take home, a meditation uh, pillow, eye pillow. Um, Everybody has a block. Everybody has a mat. Of course, they'll probably bring their own mats, but I've set up the space with particular care to certain things that I want to include to create a certain environment and experience for the students that come to my class tonight. And I'm doing this because it's driven by things that I love, things that I want to share, things that I believe will give them a well-rounded experience that will be unique to coming to a class taught by me. And what I just described hasn't even gotten into the actual yoga part. 
right? It's just kind of the environment. So there's the literal environment of they're coming to my house. Then there's the secondary environment of they're coming to the yoga studio room in my house. And then there's the other things I just mentioned. There's a mat, there's a block, there's a strap, there's a blanket, there's a, a yogi tea bag in its little paper that's so cute. And I picked up, picked up some other things yesterday at a wonderful little shop in Brookline, Massachusetts called Brookline Booksmith. Shout out to independent bookstores everywhere. Um, a, a wonderfully smelling lemongrass incense with this beautiful little incense holder. I mean, I had fresh flowers that I picked when I was walking the dog yesterday. So there's a, a bowl of just flower petals. I mean, all of this is just reflective of how I want to show up for these students today. And I thought last night when I went to bed about the sequence I want to teach and the rationale behind the sequence from an anatomical standpoint, because that's the way I love to share yoga. And, and I have many reasons um, borne out by tons of feedback from students about how teaching in that way is helpful. And for me, I love teaching with an anatomical focus. And so that's what I love to do. So these are examples of teaching in a way that is authentic. And this is um, what is inspiring me to talk about this concept for teachers in today's episode. So what about you? What about you? You out there listening to this right now, you, the yoga teacher, hearing this particular topic, what about you? What's coming up for you right now? Are you asking yourself some key questions so that you can uncover your true abilities? What makes you unique? And what brings you joy as a teacher when you're teaching? Or, or are you bogged down by pressure to do what other teachers are doing, right? Are you bogged down by that? Are you bogged down by pressure to show up in a way that you see on social media? Are you feeling boxed in to a certain way of teaching because of assumed rules? And I'll give you an example of that. You always need to practice with your students because people are in general visual learners. False. <laughs> you always need to ask students to lift their leg to the sky before they step forward into warrior one. False. You always need, it's really important to include breath cues in your teaching. False. Right? I'm just telling you, you know, my perspective. You can listen to these things and you can react and get into your attachment to any of those three examples I gave and come up with all sorts of reasons to justify it. What I want you to do though, is ask yourself, who says? <laughs> who says you need to cue to breath all the time? Who says you need to ask people to lift their leg before stepping forward? Who says that you need to practice with your class? Who says that you need to have music? 
Who says you need to ask students before class, does anybody have any injuries? Who says you need to start with meditation? Who says you need to start in child's pose? You know, all of those things, especially the ones that become seemingly rote and routine and just understood are exactly the ones that you should be questioning. And I don't mean questioning just to be an asshole about it. I mean, number one, asking what is the rationale for me doing this? And, you know, my rationale always falls back on what's the anatomical reason for it. And number two is doing whatever it is, fill in the blank, really helping me feel authentic as a teacher. Do I want to start people in child's pose? I can tell you for me, I generally do not. And I have good reason for not wanting to start them in child's pose. Why would I want people to come into a class and hunch over the floor when they've probably been hunching over their computer all day? Don't want to do it. Every once in a while, I might start them in child's pose, but generally I do not. And that's just one example. And in that example, I am driven by my own rationale for why I'm changing something that seemingly is what most people do without ever questioning it. Now, this gets into a little bit of a hazy area, or maybe not even hazy, maybe it's a really clear area, where we begin to potentially encroach upon yoga and its traditional way of being presented. And I do not want you in any way to hear what I'm saying and to assume or to take it to mean that I am questioning the 5,000 year old tradition of yoga and doing anything in any way that is meant to be in disrespect to it. And in fact, I've had teachers when I've had this conversation with them some of them have reacted really strongly. One teacher told me recently, I'm finding myself getting really angry with you as you talk about this. And I get that. However, I think it's our responsibility as teachers to look at these kinds of things, because let's face it, 5,000 years ago when people were doing yoga, they sure as hell didn't live the way people live now. And if we fall back on the way yoga was always presented as our justification for continuing to present it that way today in the face of all that we see in our students as they do it and in the face of all that we're feeling from a disjointed perspective as we try to fit into this box of teaching in a particular way because we feel this pressure for all from all these assumed rules that are out there that's not a helpful way for anybody to receive yoga teaching. And it sure as hell isn't a helpful way for you to be an authentic teacher. So I say, no, things are, there is opportunity for us to keep the respect and the admiration for the tradition and also um, change certain things with justification, with rationale. And that's very different than just going into class and asking people to flip their dog because you saw it on YouTube. No, I'm not definitely not saying that. So hopefully you get the, the point of that. So what I'm going to present to you now is, and I think like in an amazing way, I, I literally wrote this 15 minutes ago, um, 10 
introspective questions, 10 inquiry questions that um, you can ask yourself. And what I'm going to tell you is, as you're listening to this, if you want these inquiry questions in writing, I want you to DM me on Instagram. Say, hey, Karen, can you send me those questions? And I will send them to you. So here we go. 10 inquiry questions. Um, these are also really good questions to ask yourself as you're meditating, as you're doing your visualization. And if you're not doing that as a yoga teacher, that is a really good place to start. Sitting on your meditation cushion and asking yourself these questions. That's the best place for your true nature to rise forth, right? But that visual I'm having right now um, of the lotus flower, right? And isn't it the story that it's, you know, in the mud under the water and then the flower blooms above the water? Like that's what we're talking about. All right, so question one, how do I want to show up for my students? How do I want to show up? When you hear that question, what comes to mind? Maybe what you're wearing, maybe what you're saying, maybe where you are in the room, right? Maybe the idea of showing up for your students, even at its face, is terrifying to you because you've been practicing with your classes for years. And so maybe when you hear that question, showing up in your mind looks like, well, I roll out my mat and I do my practice and they can follow along. Matter of fact, I had a teacher recently describe a class she went to where the teacher put her mat sideways and practiced the whole time with her eyes closed. <laughs> I want you to imagine as a student going to a class and having the teacher not only cut themselves off from you energetically by not looking at you, but additionally practicing the entire class and closing the eyes, right? I think it's pretty obvious that's not a practice for the students, that's a practice for the teacher. And, you know, how do you wanna show up? So, so that teacher, how, do, how is that teacher thinking they wanna show up for their students? They show up by just turning inward. And teaching is an outward driven experience. It's not about turning the lens inward. It's about turning the lens outward. And everything you're doing is framed from the perspective of how can this be helpful to the student? How is this coming across to the student? How is this landing on the student, right? All the work you do to get there is turning the lens inward. But once you're there, it's about them. Okay, so question number one, how do I want to show up for my students? Question number two, what makes me uniquely qualified to teach? What makes me uniquely qualified to teach? You know, one of the first things I think about when I hear this question is the factor of age. And the reason I think about that is because many of the teachers that I work with in my signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, which is all about walking you through a refined process to learn anatomy so that you can cue with anatomy in mind, provide sequences with anatomy in mind, and answer student questions confidently. Many of the teachers in my program are over the age of 45. And almost every single one at one point or another brings up the factor of age as a concern. And so when I 
think about this question, what makes you uniquely qualified to teach? One of the things that I think about is how wonderful it is that many teachers are older. And that's no shame on anybody that's under a particular age. It's just that when you think of what makes you uniquely qualified to teach, what more obvious factor is that you have fucking lived a life, right? You've lived a life and you've gone through ups and downs and trials and tribulations and worked and raised families and done all sorts of things that make you a uniquely qualified person to teach in only a way that you know. Now, going into teach is not about talking about your life story. However, you can't deny that all that what you have been through in your life flavors how you teach differently from someone who's 25, right? And there are many obvious ways that there would be differences there. I don't want to get into all of it because I don't want to really flavor where you go with these questions, but I'm going to just give you a little lead in for each one. So that's one thing that comes to mind age. There are lots of other things. You know, what makes you uniquely qualified to teach? Where you live, how that influenced you, how you were raised, um, what background you have, right? There's a very literal translation for this, certainly for people who are in related fields like massage therapy or physical therapy, something like that. So that, you know, but I don't want you to get too hung up on the word qualified. Because when we hear what makes you uniquely qualified, you may start to think about, oh, I don't have enough certifications, I don't have enough hours. Do not get hung up upon that, right? You know, one of the huge, in my opinion, disservices that the yoga industry is doing right now to teachers is having them focus on hours. You should be focused on what knowledge do you want to gain and for what reason? The last thing you should be worried about is hours. The last thing, you know, and again, that's a whole other conversation. But again, this falls into the category, friends, of things that teachers think because of prescribed rules. And it's really helpful to ask yourself, who's saying this is the rule? Are any of your students coming to your classes asking you how many hours of training you have? Are any of your students coming to your classes asking you how many letters you have after your name that are affiliated with certain designations given by Yoga Alliance? Probably not. They don't even know about it. Now, I am not throwing shade on that organization, and I'm not saying there aren't benefits to that. However, what I am saying is think about what your motivation is. I get emails all the time from teachers who want to buy my course to quote unquote, get hours. And to that, I say kind of sort of, don't bother. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe bother. However, reframe that because saying that you want to take a course to get hours is really not the right reason to take a course. Why not think about what, and it's one of the questions that we're going to get to, what is a knowledge gap that I have and what is that knowledge gap preventing me from doing? And when you look at that program, before you give your hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, that program 
better fill in that need. Otherwise, kind of a bummer for you that you're going to spend that money, not get the skill you want, and you get the hours. For what? Right? Again, no one's really asking you to get all these hours. I think at a bare minimum in the industry, having a 200 hour registration, right? Friends, it's not a certification. Yoga Alliance does not certify anybody. Having a 200 hour registration designation is what studios require. And so, yeah, you can say that is a requirement. That is a rule. If I want to work for someone's studio, I need to have my 200 hour registration designation from Yoga Alliance. Beyond that, it's really for you. It's really for you. Okay, tangent. Back to questions. What makes me uniquely qualified? So I got off on that tangent because I don't want you to get hung up on when you hear uniquely qualified, I don't want you to get hung up on empirical type things, certification type things. What makes you uniquely qualified are the less tangible qualities. And that's what makes it so amazing, right? Because these are the qualities that when you go to take a class and you leave and you're like, I love that class. It didn't have anything to do with how many hours the person had after their name. It had to do with how they show up. And how they show up is a direct result of them knowing what makes them uniquely qualified. Okay, enough of that. Number three, what can I offer students who come to my classes? What are they going to get? What can you offer? What are you about? If you meet somebody at Starbucks and they are nervous about coming to yoga because they don't feel like they can do it, what are you going to tell them they're going to get if they come to your class? What are you offering people? Are you offering them an experience around health and wellness? Are you offering them something really niched down and specific around a particular style of yoga? What are you offering? You know, if you can't define that, it's going to be really difficult for you to create a sequence because there's no tie-in to something that you're connected to that you offer that you can define. Number four, how do I view my role as a yoga teacher? What do you think your role is? Are you there just to take people through exercise? Are you there to guide them to a deeper place on an internal sense? You know, what, what do you see your role as? Do you see your role as to be a counselor? You know, again, it's really important. This is part of the importance of understanding what our professional scope of practice is. It's really important that you know what your professional scope of practice is so that your definition of what your role is as a teacher is consistent with that and you're not overstepping your bounds, right? You're not having people come to your home, doing private sessions with them, counseling them on marital problems they may be having or anything along those lines, right? You're referring out when people bring up concerns to you that are outside your scope of practice. However, aside from the things that are not within our scope, let's talk about the things that are, <clears throat> right? And so those are the things that I'm sure you're familiar with. You're a movement coach, right? That's what a yoga teacher is. In addition though, through movement, <clears throat> we are facilitating a journey that people are taking to know more about themselves, whether it's on a somatic level or some other level. And so again, what do you see your role is as a teacher? 
And that's something that's going to be different, obviously, for every teacher, because it's what you're comfortable with. If you're authentic, like I'll give you a perfect example. <clears throat> My authentic nature when it comes to teaching is to have a good, healthy sense of boundaries. I have observed several teachers in the 15 plus years that I've been teaching who, in my observation, um, had really gray boundaries with their students. And the reason I knew this <clears throat> is because, and, I, and I'm coming at this from the perspective of a background I have in clinical social work and rehab counseling, working in clinical settings, working in patient settings. So I understand what, what boundaries look like. And so it's always um, something that I notice when boundaries are broken. And so I would observe teachers having conversations with students on a deeply personal level. And these would be happening in the open. It wasn't like I was eavesdropping in lobbies of studios, in the crossover between me going into teach and them leaving. And for all I know, they are personal friends with that student. So I think that's a different scenario. So I'm not passing judgment on what I observe. I'm simply saying, this is what I observe. <clears throat> and so the reason I give this example is this gets into this idea of what is your role and really knowing what your role is. Me as a teacher, I have really clear boundaries. I don't come across, I don't think, as standoffish. <clears throat> However, I really very much respect boundaries between me and a student. And so if a student is talking to me about something that's on a deeply personal level, I am simply there to listen. And over my many years of teaching, in particular privates, I have had people bring up marital issues with me. I've had people bring up abuse issues with me, all sorts of things. And I have simply listened and not gotten into it with them because that's not part of my role. So think about that for yourself. Number five, how do I want yoga teaching to fit into my life? How do I want it to fit into my life? I mean, these questions, if you're unfamiliar with the concept of neuro-linguistic programming, these questions touch upon an NLP approach. A neuro-linguistic programming approach touches on things that have to do with thinking about when you're planning something out, What's the end result? And is that end result something that you actually desire? You know, think about the example I gave earlier of signing up for a training and getting to the end of it and then realizing, shit, I didn't even get out of that what I wanted. Um, that's a great example of not thinking through to the end game before you take the first step. And then you get to the end game and you're like, oh, I missed the mark. Well, you could have saved yourself all that pain and money and time if you had thought it through. And so this question, how do I want yoga teaching to fit into my life, touches on that. Because let's face it, not everybody wants to teach full-time. Not everybody wants to teach part-time. Not everybody needs to teach to make money. You know, there's all different scenarios out there. People sometimes just want to teach to teach. They don't even want to charge for their services. That's, again, a different conversation. I think you should, always should be charging, except in certain situations um, where you can justify why you're not charging um, because it devalues the service if you don't charge. However, again, there can be reasons why you don't charge that are rooted in kind of a marketing approach. Off track here, though. Back on track. The reason this question is important is because this will define your business decisions, how you develop teaching opportunities for yourself. 
you know, let's just take a perfect example. If you work a full-time job and you have a family with kids, you know, it, it probably makes more sense to you that yoga teaching is going to be a side gig and maybe something you do once or twice a week in a very specific defined way that fits well into your life. If you have a different scenario, you live alone, you don't have other family responsibilities, and you really want teaching to be a big part of your life, maybe in fact, even be how you support yourself, that's very different. You know, if you travel a lot, probably not going to be able to teach a lot. So again, I think you kind of see where this is going. Question number six, where do I want to go with my teaching? So this touches on some of the things I just talked about earlier. What's your ambition as a teacher? Have you thought through where you want to go with your teaching? Where do you see, especially when you think about if you're at a point where you've invested thousands of dollars in your training, for what? What are you, you know, I, I work with teachers who invest thousands of dollars and they're not teaching. And the reason they're not teaching is because they're afraid. Ultimately, that's the reason. They may not say that's the reason, but that's at the root of it, that's usually the reason. There can be other things that they say that are on the surface. Oh, I've got this was fine. Yeah. But ultimately, if you're investing all this money and you're not teaching, unless you're really clear with yourself, you know, kind of that thing that people say, I'm taking this training to invest in my practice. And that's fine. So there definitely are those people out there. And that's why they're investing all this money in training. However, if you want to teach, and you're taking all these trainings and you're not teaching, there's an opportunity there for you to dive deeper and ask yourself why. And that's another question that I didn't even put her on the list, but it comes from that question of where I wanna go with my teaching. Question number seven, what skills do I wanna develop that would allow me to reach people in a deeper way that would allow me to help them more completely? I'll read that again. What skills do I want to develop that would allow me to reach people in a deeper way, in a more helpful way? Because let's face it, you know, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier about training for hours. Knowledge without skills is just knowledge. The skills are the way that you express the knowledge. In the context of teaching, remember what I said before when I described my blueprint learning program. It's a program to teach you anatomy so that you can cue with anatomy in mind, develop sequences with an anatomical theme, and confidently answer student questions. That so that bridge to those three skill sets has to be there. Because if I am offering you a program where you have to invest money and time in it, and I don't bridge from the knowledge to the skills, in my opinion, it's a waste of your time and money. And it's on me as the teacher, coach, trainer, to bridge that for you. And I, I say to you all out there listening, watching, when you are investing in a training, if you're not getting that as part of the training, you know, you're missing out on a huge piece. If you're going and just sitting through PowerPoint presentations and like learning all this cool science-based stuff, that's great. But how is that going to help your teaching? How are you going to translate that into what you're doing it for, right? You're 
presumably taking these trainings so that you can. So this is where you need to ask yourself what ask yourself. Don't go out and look at trainings on websites and look at stuff about out. Ask yourself, what skills do I need? What skills do I want to develop that would allow me to teach more authentically, to reach more people, to be more helpful, to niche down into an area where I really want to niche down into because it's so meaningful to me to work with homeless youth or to work with pregnant teens or to work with people with, uh, with mental challenges. You know, you've got to fill in the blank. You've got to do that work so that you can identify all the answers to all the questions that came before this one. And then from that, it's gonna be obvious, what skills do you need that you don't have? You're probably gonna be flooded with, oh, I need to know how to do this and I need to know that. And now, now you're really cooking because now you have a list of skills you want to develop. So now you're an informed consumer. You're not going out looking for hours, you're going out looking for skills. And you're in the driver's seat, right? Totally different scenario. Totally different scenario. I love when people sign up for my program and they say, I want to learn how to cue with anatomy in mind confidently. No problem. I have got you covered, right? Versus someone that says, I just want to get hours. All right, number eight. What resources do I need to acquire these skills, right? So that's the natural question after the one before. Once you develop the list of the skills you want to learn, the next question is, what resources do I need to acquire those skills? So that's where you get into, you know, looking at coaches and mentoring and programs and books and all sorts of things. Number nine, how will I know when I get there, right? It's no good to dream if you, well, let me rephrase that. It's so important that we have a dream so that we know when we get there, right? And so as you dream in the context of your yoga teaching, I wish I could this. I so want to do that. I so want to show up in this way. That's so important to define. And that's why when I referenced before sitting in meditation and asking yourself these questions, having from those quiet moments, the inward development and blossoming of this authentic desire, that's so important to define because then you'll know when you get there, instead of being a cork in the ocean, you'd be like, ah, oh. now, you know, again, this gets into timing, you know, how long is it? Don't worry about that. The important thing for you is to define what is your target? Where are you going for? And then the last question, this one is really, really important. Am I willing to do what it takes to grow in these ways? Are you willing? You know what I mean? There's plenty of people that go through questions one through nine. And when they get to question 10, they're like, you know what? I got too much going on. I'm not ready. I'm too busy. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I've heard it all. I've said it all. <laughs> when I think of, and there haven't been that many, but when I think of the one or two programs that have been really transformative to me, where I have invested significant time and money, I didn't feel ready at all. And I just said, I'm going for it. And so I really need you. I, I'm not, I don't need you. 
I really ask you to ask yourself, as you get to this point in the conversation with yourself, you've gone through question one through nine. Now you're at this point where it is so important that you ask yourself, are you willing to do what it takes? Or are you just gonna keep things as they are? Because let's face it, friends, as yoga teachers, every day you have an opportunity to change things from how they are to how you want them to be. It's up to you to do that, no one else. And so every time you wait for another day or you push back a goal or you say to yourself, it's not gonna happen for me or I'm not ready or I'm not smart enough or I'm too old or blah, blah, blah. You're just keeping things as they are. And if you're okay with that, that's okay. I'm speaking to those teachers out there who know in their heart of hearts, it's not okay. And they desperately want to change. So that's the question. Are you willing to do what it takes? So we've gone through the 10 questions. Again, if you want them in writing, just DM me on Instagram and I'll send you a quick list. I want to um, kind of take a step back here from these deep sort of heavy introspective questions and just kind of pull back to kind of a high level idea of this, this idea of learning anatomy. If as you're going through these questions, learning anatomy is on your list of things that you want to do, I want to direct you to a download on my website, 10 key steps to learning anatomy that will guide you through a process if you're really committed to kind of figuring it out on your own. I don't recommend that approach. However, I provide this free guide to at least give you some structure that's born out of my years of experience teaching teachers anatomy. So go to the website homepage, 10 key steps to learning anatomy. That'll at least give you structure rather than having you be a cork in the ocean, doing all sorts of things and not having a process for learning anatomy on your own. Local friends in and around the Boston area, as I mentioned earlier, today is my first live class on my website, on the class schedule section. You will see all the details about how you can sign up for class with me. So if you're listening to this and you live in or near Boston slash Newton slash Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, go to my website, check it out. I would love to have you in class. Next thing. Some of you may be members of my practice portal. Some of you may have looked at the offer at one point or another. In the beginning of the pandemic around May, matter of fact, around this time last year, I created the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. I created it as a monthly membership and every month I added sequences to the portal. It's an online practice portal where I have built almost 100 sequences in the areas of yoga, meditation, journal exercise, uh, exercises, review of literature, science-based literature as it relates to anatomy. It's a whole resource. Over this past weekend, I decided to switch it from a monthly membership to a one-time charge. So that means you can access all the content in there that I have developed over the past year for just one low price of $99. This is more, more practice 
content than you could ever get to probably in a year. However, you'll always have access to it after you spend the $99. And I'm gonna to continue to update it. If you are a member of my signature program, the Blueprint Learning Program, you get access to the portal for free. However, if you're a yoga teacher or a practitioner and you simply wanna access the portal, it's just $99. I'm gonna do a full promotion later in the month. However, I wanted to let you know, I just changed that. And to sign up for the practice portal, just go to my website, it's right on the homepage. When you do look at the homepage, you're gonna see verbiage around the membership. However, when you click the pricing link, the sign up link, it's just gonna say 99 bucks. I'm literally in the process now of changing all that verbiage. And then the last thing I wanted to do is just give you a preview of the month ahead. One of the things that I'm really excited about for June, July, and August uh, for me is to get on track with a really good schedule of giving you opportunities to learn. So I wanna tell you what's available to you for learning in the month of June. This month, I'm gonna be launching a free workshop on queuing that will lead into open enrollment for my Blueprint Learning Program. I'm also gonna be doing, as I just mentioned, a promotion around the practice portal, something fun, something that goes into more information about what you can gain from signing up at that one-time price of $99, having access to all the information that's in there, all the practices, all the meditations, the science-based literature reviews, et cetera. And then the last thing is I'm also going to be doing uh, what I've done several times over the years, uh, a, a workshop, an anatomy workshop, which is about a two-hour event where I'll go through a slide deck on a particular aspect of anatomy. I've done in the past a deep dive into the shoulder, a deep dive into the spine or into the hip. So there will be many opportunities for you to learn with these programs this month. And the best way to keep up to date is to be on my VIP mailing list. To do that, go to my website, download anything you want that you think would be helpful. The 10 key steps PDF that I mentioned earlier would suffice here. And you'll be on my VIP list. And that's the best way, because let's face it, there is no way we can see everybody's social media posts. Thank God. <laughs> However, if you feel that it is helpful to you to be up to date on what's happening in terms of what I'm offering, just get on the wait list, uh, get on the mailing list. In terms of a wait list, though, the Blueprint Learning Program has a wait list link on my homepage. You can get on that as well, and that way you'll be the first to know when I open enrollment this month. So we're at the end of today's episode. I wanna thank you for your attention. I wanna thank you for your time. I wanna thank you for being open-minded as you listen to this information. I would love to know what you think. Send me a DM or post on my Instagram what you thought of this episode. You'll see posts within the next day or so regarding this episode and you can post there or just send me a direct message. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you, talk to you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, 
the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.